0: Broadcasting live from the Raiders practice facility at the Mountain Healthcare Performance Center. This is the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador.
1: Technically, uh, OTAs and everything are still on. We haven't gotten any word that they aren't. We're preparing for that. Um, I would make a side comment that uh, there's a lot of talk out there that we don't need OTAs, that we don't need preseason games. And all I would tell you as an old man is that development of young players is key to the future of this game. We don't have any kind of developmental league anymore. Um, and I know certain veteran players don't really need OTAs like young players do. But I'm telling you, without OTAs and preseason, trying to get these young players up to speed at a certain level is really difficult. And all 32 teams are, are uh, going to play under the same rules. I completely understand and, and appreciate that. But I think that anybody that doesn't think OTAs and preseason games are critically important to the development of our youth um, aren't really looking at the picture correctly.
0: You're in the huddle with Vinny York bon brought to you by Tequila in Bajador, Raider Nation Radio 920 AM on a Thursday. And... Uh, that was Raiders General Manager Mike Mayock talking um, about OTAs and offseason programs and the importance of them in developing young players. And uh, I had talked to Mike Mayock about this uh, at the Senior Bowl, um, and I even expressed my misgivings uh, to Mike Mayock about – because I've obviously heard the same you know spec- talk out there – uh, especially from veteran players. One in particular, J.C. uh He's the president of the NFL Players Association. Plays for the Cleveland Browns. And nothing against J.C. Treader. Uh, a, a good quality, veteran offensive lineman. Uh, now um, deep into his uh, career, fairly deep into his career, and he's talking about. And I'll give you the quote um, to set it up. Uh, this was J.C. Treder last year talking about because. As we all know uh, and remember, there were there was no off-season program last year. There were no OTAs. Uh, there were no conditioning periods. There were no minicamps. There was no rookie minicamp. COVID-19 said, no, 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 no. Uh, none of that's going to be possible. All buildings were shut down across the league. You couldn't do the normal business, the normal off-season business, in terms of the player development. Uh, J.C. Treader, looking at the product that was on the field in terms of You know, the level of play, the entertainment value uh, of the game said, "Uh, we're out here playing during the regular season and playing pretty well and playing entertaining football. Why the heck do we need OTAs anymore? And uh, this is what he said. I believe the changes implemented this season have demonstrated that we can put an entertaining product out on the field while further reducing wear and tear on our bodies. Uh, the Cleveland Browns center wrote in a newsletter released on Thursday. This was going back a ways, uh, um, late December. There's no reason for us to ever return to the previous off-season program. Uh, he went on to say, "We are the all right. We are the only major sports league with an off-season program. The most physically demanding sport is the only league." that brings their players back for extra practices outside of the season. The argument in favor of these offseason practices is based on the assumption that players need reps during OTAs to develop and learn while teams need to, the practices to gel. Yet the lack of OTAs, this year demonstrated that those theories weren't substantiated. Near and first year new and first year head coaches a- had success. Newly assembled teams had success. Rookies stepped in and played at a high level across the league. Uh, we do not need to be brought in during April, June to practice against each other. It's simply unnecessary. To which I say, JC, Treader, I respect where you're coming from. As a veteran player, maybe you don't need Uh, OTAs anymore. Maybe you don't need that anymore. I get it and I understand it, but I would love to go back a few years uh, to whenever JC Treader was first coming into the NFL, and I'll check that here in a second. Uh, When your head head was probably spinning and you were trying to uh, make your way, get your feet under you, figure out what it takes to be a professional, figure out what it takes to be an NFL player, uh, probably. Um, Head was spinning and the confidence was, you know, uh, you're trying to, I'm sure you're trying to play it off as we all do in those situations. But I'm sure inside, like we all typically are, uh, am I doing the right thing? Can I make it at this level? I don't know. That guy looks pretty good over there. Am I ever going to be that good? And just trying to um, make your way. As a young player, okay, I'd love to hear JC Treader back then talking about OTAs and whether he was saying, "Yeah, we don't need this. I don't need this." I'm wondering if JC Treader was saying that when he was a rookie. I don't need OTAs. I don't need this development uh, 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 process right now. I'm 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 fine. I'm good. I don't need it. I, come on. Yes, you did, and yes, they do. And now, especially now, especially with training camps condensed like they are, practice time condensed like they are. Great. Good for you. You were able at this point in your career to successfully take the field and play well. Uh, a lot of players did as well. Undoubtedly, we we, we saw that. Um, however, to say that, Rookies across the league were uh, playing at a high level. I didn't see that all the time. Uh, the Raiders, you know, had some rookies that struggled throughout the process. A lot of it was because they weren't able to get into OTAs, and and especially on a young defense uh, and young defensive players trying to get it together on the fly without OTAs. Uh, that was that put them behind the eight ball. It flat out did, and I think that you're doing a detriment as the NFL Players Association to think about. To think so with 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 such a short sighted um, lens, because yeah, for veteran players, heck, I covered the Rams. I saw um, Aaron Donald just skip in contract disputes, OTAs, minicamps, entire offseason programs, entire training camps, and walk onto the field day one, (laughs) season opener, and dominate, and go on to win multiple NFL player defense, you know, defensive player of the year awards. That's great. Aaron Donald is an outlier and he was already well established by that point in his career where Aaron Donald doesn't need all that. And not to mention the fact that Aaron Donald if you go watch his workouts during the offseason his personal workouts, workouts during the offseason are even harder than they would be uh, in 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 OTAs, but there aren't as many guys there aren't that many guys that are working to that level or have that level of talent to begin with. So, I'm with Mike Mayock you can't eliminate OTAs. It would be catastrophic, idiotic. It wouldn't make any sense. It would put young players, um, you know, uh, behind the eight ball. It would stunt their growth. I look at a guy like Damon Arnett. You're don't. you, you you're sitting here telling me Damon Arnett doesn't need an off-season program in terms of getting in there uh, for, for supervised workouts, uh, you know, are you eating right? How you looking? How much do you weigh? Where's your body fat? What are you doing in the weight room? Are you doing it correctly? Are you doing it diligently? Um, we saw uh, Damon Arnett last year get hurt on multiple occasions, not just with the hand, but he had some concussions. I thought there were some fundamental issues going on, to be f- perfectly frank. I thought that you know he looked awkward in some of the tackles that he was making and reckless, not because he's a reckless player. I think there were some fundamental issues that need to be cleaned up. How do you clean up fundamental issues? You practice. You develop. And a lot of times, the best time to do that is during the stage that J.C. Treader was completely uh, uh, negating as meaningless when, in fact, it's super important. That's where you start building the fundamentals. That's where you start uh, preparing your body and your mind for now what's going to happen When training camp rolls around. And JC, (laughs) dude, you can't tell me that your head wasn't spinning or that you weren't, you know, kind of uh, grasping at straws at some point early in your career when you were still trying to get it. You can't have forgotten that point in your career because I don't care who you are, generally speaking, you're going to go through that phase, you're going to go through that process. So for, Something like J.C. Treader, I get it. You might not need it anymore necessarily. You may not need OTAs or, uh, or, or or mini camps. You as an individual, but if I'm you, I'm looking out for the next wave of players, uh, especially as the president of the Players Association, and especially now with you know you talk about you know the, the physicality of the sport, the NFL and the Players Association. I give both sides, NFL owners and the Players Association, have. Bent over backwards uh, to try to eliminate as much or cut out as much uh, uh, of the unnecessary stuff that had been happening two-day practices, pr- uh, multiple practices uh, in pads during the year, hitting, scrimmaging uh, in a way that was that, that 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 practices were almost as physical as games. Obviously, you can't do that. They've eliminated that by unbelievable levels to the point where, yeah, maybe, um, you know, m- maybe there's it's it's coming a bit of a detriment. I look at tackling. Talk to people around the NFL and ask them about tackling and the level of tackling uh, and the precision of tackling and the effectiveness of tackling right now. It's gone down. It was and if he wants to talk, Jason Turner wants to talk about not having any offseason. The tackling last year was atrocious across the NFL. You can't tell me that there wasn't a direct correlation between, the the, the uh, poor tackling and the fact that this was the most unusual offseason and training camp that the NFL has ever seen. You just can't do it. I don't believe in that kind of a coincidence. And, oh, by the way, the level of tackling has gone down year after year after year. It keeps slipping. A little bit by a little bit by a little bit. This year, I thought it was a lot. But a little bit by a little bit because you're not practicing as much. You're not um, out there tackling as much. And I get why you're not doing that. I totally understand it. And I'm for it. And... As bound as it was that there was going to be a, a, a decrease in level uh, in terms of tackling, I'd rather have that than put players through uh, unnecessary physicality at, during times where games weren't on the line, uh, wins and losses weren't on the line. They there was a point of overdoing it, um, you know, where 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 they were tackling and and being physical throughout the course of a year and training camp stupidly. I understand that there was a stupid factor to it. I also understand that, hey, uh, by curtailing it, by reeling it back in, you might see some effect uh, on the field where tackling goes down a little bit, but I'm willing to accept that. I'm willing to accept a, a, a slight um, decrease in level of play uh, for the good of health and and making sure that players, you know, uh, don't hurt themselves or aren't as uh, in in as much physical danger. I'm okay with that, but to further that, um, to continue that and to add to it, to compound to it uh, by saying, we don't need any OTAs anymore. No way, man. No way. I I, I completely disagree. And I can remember last year uh, in May and June, you know, doing my job, talking to people, At that time of the year last year, not in training camp, not the first week of the season, not the second week of the season, in May and June, I can remember coaches telling me, man, while they were doing all their Zoom meetings, by the way, no OTAs, nobody was in the building. There weren't um, mini camps. Uh, you weren't able to uh, get get players into the building to develop them as a team and as individuals uh, behind the scenes, away from the cameras and microphones and all that. Just doing the work that you normally do during that time of year. I can remember coaches telling me, "This is really going to hurt us at some point." Us being the Raiders, and. Not so much on offense because it was a veteran laden offense that could absorb the occasional young player. You know, when you have a veteran offense, uh, as the Raiders were, okay, um, you know, uh, it's not going to hurt the entire operation to plug in a rookie like Henry Ruggs uh, because he's surrounded by mostly other veteran players. Um, So that was fine, even though I. Contend that maybe Henry Ruggs could have used more of an offseason last year, but be that as it may. Uh, It was a veteran offense that was able to absorb the young player, even without OTAs on that side of the ball. They were going to be in pretty decent shape because it was a veteran team. I'm talking about defense. I'm talking about coaches looking at the (laughs) age level of that defense after, you know, that Days Zoom meetings, but not being able to actually see them on the field or physically see them and talk to them, other than on Zoom, let alone getting them out on the practice field. Going, oh, man, this is this is this this is going to catch up to us. We're relying on so many young players. This is going to hurt, and sure enough, uh, it, it it hurt. Uh, we're going to go out onto the Raider Nation uh, listener line. Uh, Raider Ramon, the Witch Doctor, is on the line. How you doing, man?
2: Hey, what's going on, Vinny? Doing good, uh, brother. Just wanted to add something. You know what I... And give you a trivia question. Uh-oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, do we got money, you know, money on it? it would,
0: huh? we got some money on this one, or what? No,
2: but, you know, to let <laughs> everybody know that your research is real and what you do. Um, do you know what I would like for my uh, free agency uh, Raider uh draft or higher uh, as far as the next um, uh, player to to add to the team and who's and help the team, you know move forward. Who's uh, that? Okay, I will give you the trivia question. He's six, five, two ninety, almost three hundred. It depends on if he's working out or not. He's an absolute baller. Uh, He grew up in Bakersfield, just like Derek Carr. Um, He is a free agent. He is a uh, defensive end. He had, I think, 11 sacks last year. Uh, And he grew up a Raider. He's a straight Raider. Who am I talking
0: about? Oh, man. All right, what team did he play for last year?
2: No, <laughs> we can't give you that.
0: <laughs> All right, give me uh, initials. How about initials?
2: Oh, come on. L <laughs> Dub. L Dub.
0: I'm sorry, L.
2: L Dub. Standing for W. <laughs>
0: well, I know Leonard Williams. Uh, yes. Oh. <laughs> ding, 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 ding.
2: <laughs> Leonard Williams.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I, I think a the a dream
2: come true if the Raiders uh, hired him.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, I, I it, we'll see if he hits the open market. Uh, I've got him in the. Um, chances are he's not going to be on the open market because uh, I figure the the New York Giants, after trading for him, uh, aren't about uh, to let him, you know, escape their grasp. They've got the uh, franchise tag that they utilize. Um, they could sign him to a to a free agent, you know, an extension. I should say, um, but. No question, if he's on the open market, that is a player that if I'm the Raiders, if I'm the Raiders, if I could get uh, at, at a free agency with a Leonard Williams, and a free safety, uh, one of the premier free safeties, and I think that because there's so many good free safeties yeah. in this free agency class, you're going to be able to get a bargain, um, yeah. you know, because uh, there's just so many multiple players uh, at that position. So if you could get away, if you could get out the, through free agency with Leonard Williams, and let's just throw John Johnson's name out there—that's my guy. Yes, so. I
2: was about to say that your guy from the Rams.
0: Yeah, that and would be
2: an early Christmas present for me.
0: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There you go. Well, uh, I'm sure Mike Mayock and John Gruden and this Raider organization would love if the offseason, uh, you know, uh, if just the free agency period, uh, you know, ended – or not ended, but but uh, was, was that, that was the foundation of their free agency period was Leonard, William and, uh, Leonard Williams and John Johnson. Because if you do do that, then all of a sudden you're flexible now uh, in the draft. And here's the thing. I don't think, uh, as opposed to – you know, um, recent history the last couple of years, I don't think that – it's not these massive holes that the Raiders need uh, to fill. What needs to happen is players that are already in place, young players that are already in place, need to get naturally better, uh, which as I look at this roster, um, I think Cleve Farrell is going to get better. I think Max Crosby can get better.
2: Leonard Williams, he's only 26.
0: Yeah, that and that, that's another thing. Uh, no more old players. Yeah. Uh, and 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 John is only 25 26 years old as well. So those are the yeah. that's the age that they need to be that's the age and level of player that they need to to be looking at. Now, granted, because there's going to be a lot of veteran players that hit the open market uh because of, you know, salary cap um purges around the league as teams try to get under the salary cap, you're going to see a lot of veteran players that are probably above that 26 age, but if you can get a player that can still play at a reasonable price, it, it, it behooves you to look at that market as well, not just that top tier, um, you know, free agent group of the Leonard Williams and the Dalvin Tomlinsons and the uh, you know Yannick Ngagways and, and the Justin Simmonses and the John Johnsons and and, and the well, Marcus Mays.
2: I think Leonard Williams is better than N'Gawe. Uh
0: I agree, bigger,
2: faster, and uh, I think younger, if I'm correct. Has more moves, you know. He has better moves than him, and he's a Raider. He's from Bakersfield.
0: You know when when I uh, w- uh, Leonard Williams was at USC when I was uh, when yeah, I was still in like Los Angeles. USC,
3: exactly.
0: And I I, I could still hear um, coach uh, the LSU coach. Uh, I'm just drawing a blank here. Um, oh my gosh. But the the, the, the the current LSU coach, if you could help me with his name, uh, he Ed Ogeron. Was, yeah, Ed Ogeron, coach. Oh. And, uh, he used to always, he loved Leonard Williams. He was his defensive line coach. And, uh, Lenny, he used to call him Lenny. Lenny, Lenny's so good. Lenny's a, Lenny's a good player. Oh, Lenny's gonna get after him. So I know Leonard Williams from back in those days, uh, which weren't all that long ago. And you're right, he's a young player. I think he's better than, uh, Yannick Ngagwe. I don't think the Raiders, uh, would bat an eye if they ended up with, with Ngagwe. Uh, I don't think he's the natural pass rusher or disruptor, uh, that, that Lenny is, but that's, uh, that's part of the reason why dubious that Leonard Williams actually hits the open market because he is so good and he is such a disruptive force. And what I really like about Leonard Williams is you could play a multiple. Uh, he could play inside. He could play outside. Um, he's a guy that is going to help. If he's here with the Raiders, he helps, um, you know, Clee Farrell. He helps uh, uh, Max Crosby, you know, uh, in addition to, um, at times in lieu of, I mean that, that he's just a guy that can make a huge difference. And so, yeah, I, I think the Raiders would love to have Leonard Williams. Um, we'll see if, uh, if Lenny hits the open market. Um, and if he does, I would suspect that the Raiders would be all over that. Cause you're right. You have to always think about connections and, and, you know, um, uh, Mike Williams was, or Mike Mack was talking yesterday about fits, you know, uh, Leonard Williams, being from the West Coast, being growing up a Raiders fan, uh, this is his neck of the woods. You know, Las Vegas is basically the west coast or or or, uh, as west coast as you could possibly get it's a place where californians come all the time so i'm sure he's well aware of las vegas and this region and 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 potentially living here uh and and the connections to the raiders growing up in bakersfield all of those things are gonna you have to play into all of those aspects if you're chasing somebody in free agency you want to make the best case you can for yourself and if it means um you know uh uh just just utilizing all aspects of that, including whatever connections um, he might have to you. Look at John Johnson. I don't know if you saw this on social media, but, you know, he was talking about Mike Mayock, the Raiders general manager, being an alumni of the school he's an alumni of, Boston College. So uh, players understand that, and I think that would be a good fit as well with John Johnson here with the Raiders. Uh, but we'll see. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila Embajador. No one gets you closer to the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. What's good Raider Nation? Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. It is a Thursday. You're in the huddle. Vinny Bonsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador. Going to go back out to the Raider Nation listener line. Mark in New Jersey wants to talk about his Raiders. How you doing, Mark?
4: I'm doing good. Uh, Yeah, uh, I know you were talking before um, about, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the issues that we had, obviously, with the no OTAs and all that stuff and everything and that kind of hurt us down the stretch. But, you know, I think, um, you know, bringing bringing Paul Gunther back, obviously, it kind of hurt us. And and also, um, you know, starting with the young guys back there, you know, in the secondary. So, ultimately, I think that possibly cost us, you know, um, you know, a playoff this year. So, you know, when they had guys in camp like, you know, Luca Mora and, and Randall, they decided to go that route. So I think so that, that thing really worries me. And I know this year they're talking about getting rid of a lot of the uh, offensive linemen. And uh, I still think that they really need to worry about that side of the ball too because even though that they're – Okay, you still not you don't want to give up on that part or not make that a priority, and uh, you know let's get, let's get uh, Gus Bradley a chance here and and let him build this defense so we don't have that collapse again because we we can't go through that as a fan base. And again, I mean, hopefully we, they learn from it. And I know they were close last year, but you know they need to do a better job you know, down the stretch. I think that's what we need
0: to see. Yeah, no question. And, and, um, you know, and, and I think that the defensive issues were, it was an issue all year long. Um, it just, it never gelled. It never came together. Uh, it looked disconnected, uh, at, at various times during the year, critical times during the year. There were a few, um, you know, flashes for sure. Uh, I thought they played well, um, at least early on against the Kansas City Chiefs in Kansas City. Uh, Make what you will of the Cleveland Browns uh, game. Uh, I was there. It was one of the craziest weather days I've ever ever experienced. So I think the weather played a factor in how both defenses played. Uh, the the you know Raiders were able to eke out a win uh, in that game. Um, but overall, the Raiders' defense just it never took hold. Uh, you never felt comfortable. You never there was never a period of time uh, sitting up in the press box where 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 I was um, that you. That you had any like that you felt good like they were going to make a play um, like who and and I remember just talking to some of my colleagues who's who who's going to make a play uh, on on this defense right now they just weren't ready to do that on a consistent level and on a high level and on top of that I think um, you know part of that is is just was just the youth of the of the team and and you know guys just not um, coming together as a unit. Uh, And and that was as big to me as as anything else. I just never felt like the unit was connected throughout the year. I felt like watching it, uh, there was confusion. Uh, There were guys that were not on the same page. Uh, There were were times where, you know, you had defensive backs uh, in two different coverage looks on the same play. Um, You know, and that's just a, a sign of one or two things, or maybe multiple things. The message just didn't seem to be getting across from the staff to the players uh, on a collective uh, basis. And um, and either that or players just weren't getting it. Maybe it was too com- – I don't know. Maybe it was too complicated. Um, it, it certainly looked like something like a, a Corey Littleton, uh, definitely a veteran who's played in a Super Bowl and playoff games and big, meaningful games and come up with big plays – in big-time games, um, he just didn't seem comfortable. And I don't know whether it was uh, the lack of off-season, the lack of uh, the the, the inability for him to get to know his teammates and gain trust and develop chemistry and confidence in each other. If that was the case or if the Raiders staff at that time was asking him to do too much or more of what he uh, isn't quite as proficient as compared to what he is proficient. It was all of those things. It was just a big combination of all of those things, uh, which is why. Um, and I hate when guys have to get fired. I don't like it. These are human beings. They get to, You get to know these people. Uh, you don't root for anybody to fail. You don't root for anyone to, to win or lose necessarily, but you don't want anyone to get fired. It's just not cool. And these are human beings. and You get to know them at that level, and you don't want to see anyone uh, lose their job. But it got to a point where, you know, something had to happen it obvious it just wasn't working whatever the case might be uh it just wasn't coming together the way it should you fast forward to this year and i think that um there's there's just a uh, a higher level of confidence in somebody like Gus Bradley because he's been there done that in multiple spots and has done a good job in multiple spots and has a track record of success as a defensive coordinator. Paul Gunther uh, didn't have that that kind of a track record he just he just he just didn't um you know in a, in a in a meaningful way uh Paul or, or Gus Bradley is a coach I believe if if you really were to go back a few years ago, I think Gus Bradley was the co- was the defensive coordinator that John Gruden probably wanted to bring all along but timing sometimes doesn't line up the way it needs to um, and unfortunately, you know, for the Raiders at that point, Gus Bradley uh, already had a job uh, with the Los Angeles Chargers. He was the defensive co- coordinator of the Los Angeles ju- uh, Chargers. Fat chance the Chargers are going to let, <laughs> you know, Gus Bradley. Uh, leave to go coach the Raiders in their in their division. That's not going to happen. Gus Bradley is a qualified, highly respected coach. That's why the Chargers didn't want to lose him at that at that particular uh, point. So, you know, whatever it happened, um, we're here at this point now. I think Gus Bradley being in this building, Gus Bradley working with the talent that's on hand. Because make no mistake. Obviously, uh, the Raiders are going to do their best to bring in uh, a quality or quality, um, um, you know, multiple quality free agents that are going to be able to step in day one and make an immediate impact for the good for this team as veteran, productive, reliable uh, defensive players. I would be shocked if the Raiders don't come away in uh, at a free agency with a, with at least two of those type of players, two. And I think that where they are in the draft, whether they draft somebody or use that draft pick um, or draft picks to go get another veteran uh, defensive player, I think you're going to see that as well. Uh, uh, You're going to see somebody either at the 17th pick or that pick used to go trade for somebody, another uh, day one kind of a defensive starter. So good chance. The Raiders will be looking at, I would say, three new starters, uh, at least three new defensive starters next year. And the hope in the building, obviously, is that uh, at least two of those are going to be free agents that have a good chance, two or maybe even three, that have a good chance of just making an immediate big-time impact. But all that said, what the Raiders really need is for Damon Arnett, Trayvon Mullen, Corey Littleton, Nick Wachowski. Uh, Max Crosby, Cleve Farrell, Jonathan Abram. They need those guys, the carryovers, the guys that are have been here now for a year or two um, to come back ready, prepared, uh, and in position to take a big step forward. Because if that happens, then it just accentuates the newcomers that they bring in through free agency or the draft. If you can marry those two concepts of guys just getting better from last year to this year and add impact players, a couple, three impact players that are going to be able to perform at a high level. I'm not exaggerating when I say this defense would be in position to make the necessary step forward if those two things happen. And I think system, philosophy, teaching, coaching, communication – All of that comes into play as well. Uh, So, Gus Bradley's defense, his style, uh, the teachers that he has brought with him, and I add Rod Marinelli uh, to that group. You know, I think Rod Marinelli, you know, obviously he was part of the defensive coaching staff last year. What we don't know, uh, and I suspect that. This was part of the struggle. I don't – we don't know what – you know, when you're an assistant coach, like Rod Marinelli was in a position of being last year, you answer to your boss. And last year, the boss was Paul Gunther. Uh, there's a reason why there's a chain of command. You know, for the defensive coordinators making the decision, everyone else is making suggestions. There's a huge difference between – the guy that makes the decision and the, guys that, and the guy that's making suggestions, you know, slido. It's, sometimes it's just a matter, you look at the NBA, sometimes it's just a matter of sliding over one seat over. And all of a sudden you're the guy, you go from the guy that's making suge- suggestions to the guy that's making the decisions. It's a huge jump, even though it's only measured in inches. But saying that a guy like Rod Marinelli is respectful enough and understands enough uh, the chain of command and how things work that if Paul Gunther's telling him this is the this is what I want you to teach your defensive linemen this is the system this is the technique these are the fundamentals this is how I want them to line up this is what the attack points uh, this is what I want you to do it's his job Rod Marinelli's job to carry out those orders and teach those to his players whether he agrees with it or not that's his job I kind of think that there was probably a little bit of disagreement on certain things but Forget it. That's That happened. I think under Gus Bradley, there's going to be more agreement, more consensus, more being on the same page, and I think you're going to see the defensive line play better as a result, and I think Rod Marinelli, who got a lot of blame last year for how that defensive line played, even though there was some progress uh, by some guys, but I think that that has a chance to change, and you're going to understand and see why Rod Marinelli is still here and what makes him a really good coach in a system coaching under a coach that I'm sure there's a lot more agreement uh, and a lot less maybe disagreement. You're in the huddle with Vinny you're and Lincoln Kennedy, brought to you by Tequila and You're listening to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Now back to your hosts, Vinny Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. It's time to tackle the top headlines of the day.
1: I got blasted.
0: This is 3 and Out.
3: Hey Vinny, are you ready for 3 and Out?
0: I am, and that is the voice of our producer, Devon Cotton, and he's got three items that he wants to get to, and we're going to do this really quick today. let um,
3: to talk about what you got, Devon. All right, something that was caught my attention is that them, um, you know, like um, when the rules committee when they meet in the off season, people come with their proposals. Yes. All right. So, the Baltimore Ravens are suggesting, you know, because I feel like everyone has a problem with the overtime rules. They're suggesting that hey, how about we just do a spot and play. You know, the hit, the coin toss is going to be not so much factor into it as much like the team is just going to be able to decide, hey, we want we want them to have the ball of the 20 or we want to take it from the 20. And I think that's going to cause so much confusion, but also a lot of fun. Do you want to get rid of the coin toss in overtime and just let the teams decide, hey, we want to defend. We want it. And just hey, we're going to take it from the 20
0: well um I don't like that plan um uh, although I, I but I do like uh, a plan uh, this their second plan which is and this is the one I think Bill Belichick uh, likes this one it's where overtime is seven minutes and 30 seconds right and there's no um' There's no sudden death component to it. Uh, it's whoever leads after the extra seven minutes and 30 seconds wins the game. And if nobody leads, then it just remains a tie and it goes off as a tie. So there's no sudden death aspect to it one way or the other. There's no field goal or touchdown. If you score a touchdown, you just play seven minutes and 30 seconds. Period. Uh, that's the length of the uh, of the time that you play. And whoever is leading after that point, you know, uh, wins the game. Here's I uh, real quick. Here's my proposal. Just uh, you, listen. When 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 you end the first quarter, what happens in the second quarter? Play picks up right where it left off, right?
3: Yeah. So what are you saying? That overtime just have the uh, p- yes. the play. Why? Pick up? Why?
0: You know why? Because it would eliminate teams playing to get to overtime. All right, like taking a knee or wait, you know, running the ball into the uh, into the uh, you know it, it, just to the middle of the line of scrimmage just to waste time. Why not just uh, if it's if the game is tied late in the quarter, just play like you normally would. Uh, the fourth quarter ends; it's a tie, and um, and, and start overtime. From that period, from that, from that, right from that point, and uh, if if you score, you win the game. Uh, it's it's just a continuation of of the um, or if you want to play another, let's just say ten minutes, let's just you know cap it or or do the Bill Belichick thing. You 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 start where the the game ended. Whoever has the ball, whether it's on the one yard line of the other team or your one line, one yard line, wherever it is, you just start. You pick up action right where it ended. Play another seven minutes and whoever leads after that 7 minutes wins. This way and there's no sudden death, there's nothing none of that. It's just a continuation of where it stopped because I hate when at the end of games teams just take knees to go to overtime. If you're going to well, take There's knee, more
3: strategy involved with overtime with what your suggestion then you're just going to then you just get lucky by getting the ball last. And I guess that maybe maybe it's no better than being lucky by being the team that gets the ball but, first but, in overtime. But yeah, let's like, yeah, yeah, you're not
0: lucky. Here's 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 what here's what eliminates the luck part of it um and 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 also you, you, there is more strategy instead of taking a knee you have to play the game the way you normally would be playing the game so you're it's it's in your best interest to uh to keep moving the ball as far down the lo- that, that you can so that when overtime starts rather than you know be facing third down at the for- at your own 40 yard line you might be facing first down at the other team's 15 yard line but the point is it wouldn't be a sudden death so so even though you might start the, the You know the, the next quarter, the overtime quarter at the other team's one yard line, if you score a touchdown, it doesn't end it. They still get it, you still go back and forth for the next seven yeah, minutes. you know
3: who's really going to complain? the team that let's say the, like the court the fourth quarter ends, and they're, they're at their own one yard line, and then let's say they get shut they get shut out on you know they you know they go three and out or you know it's let's say they're on third or fourth down and then it's like the other team gets a turnover and downs and then they get the ball back. And then it's like, well, that's not really fair for us because we have to start overtime. Yeah, on but yeah,
0: yeah. But if you give up the point, if you give up a touchdown in that scenario, as the, let's say let's say you're the team that retained possession at your own one yard line, and you go third three and out, you have to punt it. The other team gets the ball and they score, right? But that's there's no sudden death, so that doesn't end the game. You still are going to play an extra seven minutes. You just you just you just say, all right, we're going to continue the game. But for another seven minutes and 30 seconds or whatever the case might be, whoever is winning, it, it, that's what you know what I'm saying like it negates it negates the coin toss. It, it, it negates trying to play to get to overtime. Um, everybody's gonna play like they normally would. and hopefully you score before overtime, then you win the game, but you're you're still trying to put yourself in the best possible position because you know that when overtime starts, if it should end in uh, in a tie, then you're going to pick up right where you left off, just like you would going from this first quarter to the second quarter or the, second quarter or the third quarter uh, to the fourth quarter. So instead of doing like starting a game over, basically, or like starting a new half, you're just starting a new quarter. It's just the overtime quarter. And again, what, you know, there wouldn't be anybody that was lucky or unlucky in that situation because you don't, there's no sudden death. Even if you give up a touchdown in the scenario that you um, uh, expressed or score a touchdown, the game's not over. You still have to continue to play till the remainder of that, you know, for the, for the duration of that quarter.
2: I'm so happy he's on my team. It's
3: a heavyweight belt, bro. It's a fight. All right, Vinny, just in. The NBA All-Star teams have been picked. We have Team LeBron versus Team Durant, but Kevin Durant is not going to be planned, so he still picked his team but will not be a part of it. For Team Durant, we have Kawhi Leonard, Kyrie Irving, Joel Embiid, Jason Tatum, Bradley Bill, Devin Booker, Julius Randle, Nikola Vucevic, James Harden, Zach Levine, Zion Williamson, and Donovan Mitchell. For Team LeBron, we have LeBron James, of course, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Steph Curry, Luka Doncic, The Joker, Jalen Brown, Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Chris Paul, Demonte Sabonis, and Ben Simmons. Out of the names, who do you think has the better team, Team LeBron or Team Durant?
0: I think Team Durant. It looked like uh, Team LeBron went uh, Europe on us, right? <laughs> they went, uh, they, they went uh, in the European angle. A lot of, uh, a lot of European picks there, uh, which is cool. But um, I, you know, I, I I know how close LeBron and Chris Paul are. Uh, it'll be fun to watch those two guys on the same team. But if you're going talent for talent, uh, it, it, that that uh, Team Durant looks pretty
3: good. Sounds pretty good. All right, and one thing that was pretty funny about this the last two players selected were both members of the Utah Jazz. And I do, I, the best team, the best team with the best record, they're two all stars, both picked last by LeBron and Kevin Durant. LeBron went on to say this is not any jazz slander, but do you think the Utah Jazz are slighted once again in their mind that they are being disrespected?
0: Uh, probably, but you know, uh, I, I think the Utah Jazz are a fine little regular season team right now. I think the Lakers are slow playing it, and obviously they, they're injured right now. Uh, they played, you know, uh, the entire. They, they, they won the championship. They had the shortest off season. Um, it's going to be hard to defend that championship. They're going to have to like figure out a way, uh, uh, you know, dealing with things that no one else, no other team has to deal with. Uh, I'm I'm happy for the Utah Jazz. I think they're very well coached. I like some of their players, but I think they're a regular season team and nothing more.
3: Ooh,
0: ouch. You know, in terms of winning the championship, <laughs> what I what because there's two seasons in the in the NBA. There's the regular season and then there's the playoffs. It's all about you know you 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 work in Los Angeles. You grow up in in Southern California. You understand really quickly that it's all about what happens in the playoffs and in June specifically. So um, you know. Uh, I've seen many, 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 many teams have good regular seasons, and it's fun and it's entertaining. And Donovan uh, Mitchell is a really good player. Uh, they've got talent, it's a fun group to watch. Uh, but you can sometimes tell and detect that team that's just, you know, raring to go, ready to roll, having a great uh, regular season, but. It's dubious that they're going to get it done in a major way. They may they may win a series, uh, but in a major way, uh, come come the playoffs, I don't, I'm not, I'm not buying the Jazz right now.
3: All right, well, that's going to do it for us. So I'll wrap it up.
0: All right, well, uh, I just want to say thank you to the callers, as usual. You're why we do this. Keep it coming. We'll be back at it tomorrow, four to six p.m. in the huddle. Vinnie Bonsignor and Lincoln Kennedy. Also, shout out to Damon. D- Damon, I keep saying Damon Arnett because I write that name so many times. Damon Cotton with D-M-O-N, Cotton, uh, our great producer for uh, making us sound good and making us look good and uh, everything else uh, over there at home base. Appreciate you, brother. Uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila Embajador.